Hi, everyone. Welcome to the September 17th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been quite a week in the news. Let's get right to it. Heidi Ganahl, currently an at-large regent for the University of Colorado, officially announced her campaign for the Republican nomination for governor. Ganahl faced questions this week over her social media posts, which were recently scrubbed, regarding the past presidential election results. Meanwhile, the state Republican Party Executive Committee will vote on Saturday to keep its primary open to voters at large or close it to an intra-party system. Pat Cahoon from Westward, we start with you. Um, Heidi Ganahl, uh, I'm not sure if anyone really remembers by the time we get to Election Day how a campaign starts, but a little bit bumpy. That, you know, She teases that there's going to be an event on Monday, but then her campaign filed for governor on Friday, so everyone knew exactly what it was. Uh, faces some questions back and forth, which I think any candidate will. And then her own party is going to be making a very significant decision tomorrow. Uh, what do you make of what we've heard about this issue this week? Well, certainly she could use the Republican Party deciding to go forward with the primary because you get more publicity. A lot of people do not know her name. And now the people who are learning her name are learning it maybe in not a good way. She was ducking questions. Uh, She wouldn't talk about whether or not the 2020 election was rigged. Let's face it, that is a local issue because of Dominion Voting Services here in Colorado. No one's suggesting Colorado's election was rigged. But if you are looking at all the evidence, and you have heard even Ken Buck say, it's fine. You've got Wayne Williams, who signed with Dominion originally. She should say, 2020's over. It's done. It was fair. Let's move on. But the primary issue is going to be tough because you can vote, you know, unaffiliated can vote in either primary if there is a primary. And when you have more than 40 percent of the voters in a state unaffiliated, you want them to get your ballot if they're also going to get the Democratic ballot and at least make a decision which side they want to vote on, because it might show what they're going to do in November 2022. So, you know, her start, as we're going to say, she used to own Camp Bow Wow. She understands small business, but this dog won't hunt unless she starts being more forthcoming. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, it, it seemed the questions that, if at least posed difficulty about the 2020 election, also typify what's going on in the middle of the party. I mean, you had Dick Wadhams writing uh, in an editorial in the Denver Post saying to stay on this issue as a party in Colorado will um, forfeit what is you, what is right now a, a pretty good year, a lot of different issues for Republicans to run on. Will that issue be able to be put to bed for the Colorado Republican Party? Um, probably not. I, I think, first of all, Ganahl has the potential to be a strong Republican candidate, which would certainly be a, uh, a big change for the Republican nominee for governor. The last time they put up a strong candidate was, was Bill Owens for re-election in, in 2002. Uh, and she has actually won a statewide race, uh, putting, making her fairly unique among modern state Republicans. And like Jared Polis, she actually won the statewide race she won was for State Board of Education. Now, he spent $11 trillion on doing that to barely eke out a win. Uh, She was thriftier in the cost per vote. Uh, But it it shows she knows how to run statewide, and there's a lot of of positives uh, about her. Um, I I think on the the matter of what the the state party uh, is going to be voting on uh, on Saturday about an open primary versus a, a closed, uh, just a convention process. 
I, I can understand why a candidate would stay out of that and say, look, there's people on both sides of my party have different views. I'll just go with whatever the party decides. On the, the, stole, the st- stolen election, um, I think she was wrong not to stand up for reality. Um, the stolen election was Trump's attempt to steal the election by claiming that after he lost fair and square uh, that the election was stolen from him. And sadly, a, a lot of Republicans have deserted the reality-based community uh, by embracing this ridiculous lie. But it is symptomatic of a problem on both parties of believing absurd lies. According to uh, Rasmussen poll, 50% of Democrats, including Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, said that Russia stole the election uh, for Donald Trump in 2016, for which there's not a smidgen of support. They still believe this Russia collusion hoax because uh, they think Ra- Rachel Maddow uh, is, is related to reality. Try running for the Democratic nomination in the state and saying something like, only women can become pregnant or lactate or say that the number of people who were unjustifiably killed by police officers is no more than a few dozen a year, in fact less, and the vast majority of them who are unjustifiably killed were white, or that all the social science data tells us that some gun control laws improve public safety and a lot of them don't. So uh, reality is not a very strong suit of of either uh, party these days. I, I get your point, David. I'm not sure if any of those questions you, you offer are litmus tests as much as this one, because I don't know if the Colorado Democratic Party would have a vote to close a primary due to any of those issues. But I get your point. Eric Sonderman, columnist with the Denver Gazette and with uh, Colorado Politics. The fact that we even have, that we're talking about an executive committee making this call, which they need 75% of the vote. So it's not one of these things where 10 folks can get in a room and six say yes and it's done. They need 75% that people like a Dick Wadhams are, be, are posting out there saying, I hope this doesn't happen. This would be, you know, kicking us to libertarian party status. Um, that it's even a part of this discussion that it isn't, it's even something that a gubernatorial a candidate and Heidi Ganahl has to worry about tells me we're in uncharted territory, but I could be wrong. What do you think? Well, the Republican Party in the state continues to go into uncharted territory, and the, the, you know, the, the, the lack of charts are that how far they have fallen. I mean, this used to be a party that was the dominant party in this state for years and years, decades and decades, and then a very competitive party in a purple state, and obviously uh, those days are gone. It brings to mind the question, you know, can anyone around here play this game? Can anyone in the Republican Party play this game? To David's point, and as usual, there are more than germs of truth to what David says, but the burden is not on the Democratic Party to win elections and to be the dominant party. They have figured out the, the formula to do that. The burden is on the Republican Party to, to be smarter, to, to mount some kind of comeback here. It is not just Dick Wadhams who's pointing out the folly of this proposal in front of the Central Committee tomorrow. George Brockler has written a column to that effect. John Caldera from the Independence Institute, a friend around this uh, station, has written a column to that effect. No one is ever going to accuse the John Calderas and George Brocklers of being anything but deep red conservatives. Um, but yet they're not conservative enough for the... The, the breathing uh, heart of that party. 75% is a, ha- a high standard, and they probably won't get it, but then they're talking of litigating the 75% question, and um, there's some discussion, I'm not an attorney, but there's some discussion that they might have a, a, a decent legal case there. In terms of Heidi Ganahl, 
first impressions matter, and most of the state is just learning who this woman is who wants to be governor. And the first impressions were not great. She looked overcoached, overprepared, overmanaged, and that is not what sells in this state. Um, she is. She needs to draw an inside straight if she's going to beat Jared Polis. It needs to. Everything needs to go her way. Uh, and you don't get that by being coy. You don't get that by dancing around obvious questions. Uh, yes, I understand she has to walk some tightropes in her party, but you got to be genuine and you got to be bold. Um, you know, uh, she's not going to win a flip of a coin thing. It's again an inside straight she needs, and this was not the way. Um, to start it out. She's an interesting person mm -hmm. and an accomplished person, and she needs to put that out there and be herself and tell some of the consultants to go take a hike. You think about some of the politicians in the last, let's just call it 20 uh, years or so, that have maybe not bucked a trend, but threaded that needle. And it's been about authenticity. It's about being Coloradan first. And it'll be interesting to see. There's a long way between here and next year's election day, so there's a plenty of time, but it'll be interesting to watch. Now, for all of our fans of Colorado Inside Out, uh, all 12 of you know that we usually have a fourth voice that we would go to. Um, uh, we had someone call in sick and the, the next 10 people not being available within about an hour's notice. So it'll just be the four of us, but uh, we have uh, three of the great all-stars of the show, so we think we'll be able to carry so if you're looking for who's the fourth uh, opinion on this, we'll uh, have that ready for you next week. Let's get to our next topic. The Independent Redistricting Commission released a third congressional map this week that seems to have strong support amongst the commission. The newest map is far closer to the current congressional district map to the point that each current incumbent is not expected to see a significant challenge. The 8th district stretches north from the metro area and changes include Highlands Ranch going to the 4th CD and many mountain counties joining the 7th. Uh, David, when this was released, uh, finally, and I think they finally understood Patty Calhoun's main rule, released the news before CIO tapes on Friday, um, it did seem that n none of the incumbents faced something that I would call a challenge. Uh, Ed Perlmutter is going to have to do some more mountain work, um, uh, and it, it, CD2 gets a little further extended west, but frankly, it's... Um, everybody is staying in within a pretty comfort zone. Um, the eighth CD will, because it's, there's no incumbent, will will see some action. But I don't know if we'll see that many primaries when it comes to the other um, districts. When you looked at this map, what did you think? Well, it was an improvement of compared to the the previous map because it extended the Boulder Base District less far west. Um, and as talked about before, the uh, the main purpose of, or a leading purpose of the people Boulder sends to legislatures is to destroy the economy of northwest Colorado. And their view is uh, people can live in northwest Colorado to the extent that they participate in service industries uh, for recreational tourists. And other than that, things like ranching and farming and mining and all that stuff is and oil and gas. They're all immoral and, uh, and, and should be... Uh, Eliminated, and they've um, uh, done a good job in uh, in carrying out that agenda. Um, so now Boulder extends to roughly around where where Steamboat is, which at least is one of those towns that lives in the uh, uh, according to the rules of uh, Boulder's imperial uh, e economy as a, uh, a service industry. The the state legislature map um, both. The constitutional amendments require, order the commissions to draw competitive districts. And the state legislature map we ended up with is 
a majority of solid Democratic districts in both the House and the Senate, uh, you know, forever, or I guess for, I guess for the next 10 years. Uh, so I'm not sure they did a very good job on, uh, on actually making those uh, competitive. Uh, Eric, um, while they still have, I guess it's about the end of this month to officially vote, it seemed that, uh, honestly, I just took it that there was the least amount of bellyaching from anybody when this map got released. When you saw the first one, there was a whole line of people. The second one, holy smokes, it's Nagoose versus Bobert. It's going to be great. This one came out, it's like, hey, second verse, same as the first. Okay. Um, is that the case? I think it's the case. I think we're, you know, there might be some tweaking going on, but I think we got to look at what this final map is going to look like uh, in, in many, if not most, respects here. Uh, I'm of mixed minds on it. Now, on the one hand, David's right, it is a definite improvement on the map that came before. Last week I went through a litany of, uh, of, of problems uh, with that previous map. I think this is a definite improvement on that. It just underscores the bottom line, which is the vast majority of the population of Colorado lives along the Front Range. So it is hard to create a lot of districts that aren't dominated by the Front Range because that's where the bodies are. I have to believe my neighbors in Grand County are probably not thrilled. Uh, a more rural, yes, it's become a tourism county, but it's also an agricultural county, et cetera. They're not thrilled about being in a Boulder and Fort Collins district, but they're just not enough bodies without attaching to some front range county. Ditto for people in Salida or Westcliff who are now going to be part of a Jefferson County district. Uh, and that seems a little bit far afield, but again, they. You know, you need an anchor for most of these districts in the front range just to get to the population requirement. Why I say I'm of mixed mind is the, the countervailing feeling, even though I think this is looking like something close to the final map, the countervailing feeling is that what this country needs much more is more competitive districts in Colorado and in every other state as well. At most, two of these eight districts will be competitive, at most. Uh, and I would like to think they can do better, but as long as you're respecting communities of interest and as long as you're trying to consolidate minorities into one or more districts, it is hard to make a lot of competitive districts. Uh, Lauren Boebert, this is a great map for Lauren Boebert, Democratic dreams of defeating her. This map is infinitely more conservative than the district that elected her two years ago. So the Democrats, I think, can give up that dream if this map holds. I wish we had more competitive districts. We don't. Uh, Patty, it looks like the real drama is only going to be in the 8th district. Do you see it anywhere else? Well, you're going to certainly have plenty of drama in the Boebert district because somebody's going to run against her, and people will have a lot of fun talking about that race. Not as much fun as they would have if she'd run against Joe Neguse, but... You will have lots of drama, but will you have real challenges? No, not in most of those districts. The 8th looks really interesting, and you could have a real fight up to the last minute there. But in some of these others, you're going to have also-ran people challenging, people who are really on a kamikaze mission and have almost no chance of winning. But I think you'll find people feeling, and certainly in, in Bobert's district, they're going to go for her. It's just going to be very, very difficult to get her. But it's a far more fair map than we saw last week. The only way you could really make competitive districts, you would have to 
do flagpole annexations to different <laughs> communities of interest, to different minority communities, to really get a good group. It's impossible to divide it up that way. As Eric says, you've got mostly front-range population, and you just can't bring in the other areas in ways that would make it competitive. It would surely be a gerrymandered uh, map at that point. It's a good point. The investigation to accusations that DPS school board director Tay Anderson assaulted over 60 students came to a close this week. It was determined that the claims were unsubstantiated. The board is considering censuring him, citing, quote, unbecoming behavior, unquote, via social media posts and conversations that came out as part of the investigation. Um, Eric, in one way, this is a vindication, yet there's still a possible censure. Um, is this issue over for Anderson and, the T- and DPS? I think it would be somewhat over, emphasis on somewhat for DPS. It will not be over for Tay Anderson. If Tay wants a political future, this issue will hound him and, uh, and live with him as he goes forward. He is a young man. One would hope for some maturity, for some judgment, for some discretion, for some lesson learning from this experience. That doesn't seem to be the case. Now, we tape this at noon on Friday. And as we are taping, I think there's a censure motion being considered. We'll know what became of that later this afternoon. But it seems like the votes are there among his fellow board members, even though most of them are philosophically aligned with Tay, uh, to censure him. Uh, And Tay, I believe, is doing a press conference uh, with black ministers and others to denounce the proposed censure. Uh, Tay has one move, and that is to play the race card. And he is playing the race card here. If you take away the race card, he's got no cards at all, it seems to me. Um, yes, he was not vindicated, but vindicated, but there was not sufficient proof on the main charges. But the, the, some of the stuff that has come out, and he says, yes, it was before I was on the DPS board, and technically that's true, but stuff that was in, in 2018... He ran for the DPS board in 2017. He was already a public figure. He should have known better. The inappropriate text messaging to 16-year-olds, um, uh, give me a break, as well as some of the attempt via social media and other mediums to, um, to intimidate people throughout this investigation. It has not shown well on Tay. It could have been worse, but it has not shown well. Patty, does the drama linger in DPS and for Director Anderson? Oh, of course. And, of course, they are breaking the rule. They're having the meeting at 12.15. You know, he, he's having his press conference at 12.15. Then they're voting at 1. But Tay had already said that they are going to censure him. So that's coming out. Does anyone else remember how rancorous this school board was, like, 10 years, 5 years ago, 10 years ago? I didn't notice them censuring a lot of other people for bad behavior. Um, obviously, Tay Anderson should not be posting on social media the way he has. They didn't look into half of the just boneheaded things he has said on social media about his brother dating a white woman, if you remember that, at Thanksgiving, about collecting money for his grandmother's birthday. I mean, just crazy stuff. He should put down the phone and just do his work as a school board member and keep quiet on the other stuff. His behavior has been bad, but you also wonder, if you were accused of sexual abuse or assault or harassment of 60 individuals, you might not behave that well either. David, uh, a lot of people on both sides of the issue have made a lot of hay with it. There were a lot of uh, uh, analysts and people coming out. You know, it's, it's been a big issue for a lot of folks. Does that go away or does that just really feed the same kind of energy loop where someone wants the attention, someone wants to give attention, the person wants mm-hmm. attention, and, and two years later we're still talking about it? 
Well, uh, Tay Anderson is, is, is uh, an attention monger and makes uh, Lauren Boebert and Donald Trump look like shy and retiring Buddhist monks. Uh, but And he's also a racist, sleazy grifter. And it shows the moral bankruptcy of the Democratic Party uh, that they named him Young Democratic Democrat of the Year and shows at the least bad judgment on the part of the gun ban lobby uh, that they put him in charge of a, a group of, of young people. Uh, but that said, these accusations uh, were pretty strong and absolutely nothing came of them. Um, and when somebody comes forward and says we got 60 cases of, of uh, assault, sexual assault, and yet they can't come up with one witness who will say so. It's like Joe McCarthy waving around that list of all the supposed communists in, in the U.S. government, and he can't actually name a, 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 an actual one of them uh, with any evidence. Um, it, in a way, it's one would not compare a respectable, decent person like Brett Kavanaugh to Tay Anderson in any sense, except that they both uh, have been apparently victims of uh, hoaxes uh, with completely unsupported accusations of sexual assault. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser issued a condemnatory report about the Aurora Police Department this week calling for state oversight. His statement came after an extensive investigation citing regular occurrences of excessive force, racial bias, and the failure to issue mandated reports. Uh, Patty, your quick take on what we saw from Phil Weiser this week. Well, what we've seen in the last two weeks is some big hits for Aurora. It was the day after the anniversary of Elijah McClain's death that you get the, had the grand jury issuing those indictments against three of the police officers and two paramedics. And now you have this report coming out. We've covered the Aurora Police Department at, extensively, and it is hard to deny that their past behavior has was re- reprehensible. It wasn't just the Elijah McClain case. You know, it was the drunk in the middle, the drunk officer in the middle of a car during his lunch break. So many different things they didn't deal with. Now, the current chief has been working harder. Mayor Kaufman has been working harder, but not fast enough. So we'll see how they respond to this report. David Mirmike Kaufman said this is not new for them, that they're working on it, that it's in progress. Uh, is there enough progress to keep state oversight at bay? Well, a, a, a different question is whether the attorney general's office actually has the capacity to it, it basically run and micromanage a large municipal police department. Certainly the, the new law gives them that authority. But when you look at similar things where the U.S. Department of Justice has gotten consent decrees against other municipal police departments, uh, some of them on the basis of real serious problems, it often has has worked out counterproductively. Uh, an investigation in Los Angeles of, of police scandals there reported the biggest cause of lack of officer integrity is mediocrity in hiring. And when you get the proposals that say instead of hiring the best qualified candidates, we're going to hire on the basis of quotas, uh, then you're by definition adding mediocrity to the police department. I think a simpler solution, or at least an additional one, is that let the people of Aurora elect their police chief directly so that they can have someone who's directly accountable to them. Uh, Eric, wrap it up for us. 
I think the real story here is that this new state law, Senate Bill 17, gives the attorney general this power. Previously, this course of events would not have unfolded the way it did. And as if there are abuses in other police departments in current tense or future tense, uh, this is new territory that is being plowed here by Attorney General Weiser. Secondly, the real dispute is, I know uh, Chief Vanessa Wilson out there did a press statement or conference uh, in the last couple days saying that, you know, she doesn't want a few bad apples in the department, quote-unquote, to taint the whole force. And the real question is, is it just a few bad apples, or as the Attorney General is alleging, is it something far broader and for far more systemic? And that's, that's where Phil Weiser came down. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, as always. Patty, please start us off. Uh, Bob Enyard passed away this week, hadn't gotten vaccinated, talked very vehemently about why he hadn't um, he died of COVID. I'm not going to talk about that as the disgrace, but back in the 80s and 90s when he would uh, celebrate the death of people from AIDS by playing Another One Bites the Dust, that was disgraceful, and we can't forget that happened, and you want to be fair now. David. The Biden administration is not complaining about the Taliban holding Americans hostage or their mass executions of our friends in Afghanistan. But they did complain that the new Taliban cabinet of 35 doesn't have any women in it. Well, what about the fact that maybe in Afghanistan the top 35 terrorists all happen to be men? And besides that, the Taliban went out of its way to reach out to the Obama and Biden administrations. Of the, the Obama-Biden released five high-value Taliban terrorists from Guantanamo in exchange, supposedly, for this one American worthless deserter, no value, Bo Bergdahl. Of the five Taliban that Obama and Biden let out, four of them are in the cabinet. What more could they do to show their respect for the Obama-Biden policies? Eric. Seems like a half hour ago already, but I was going to hear here Patty's uh, <laughs> disgrace with regard to, uh, to, to, to Bob Enyart. Uh, mine is, Heidi Ganahl might not be willing to say it, but everyone else is saying it. Donald Trump continues to fan the flames of this stolen election nonsense. Um, and people who continue to lap it up. It's my column this weekend and next week. Uh, but it is, I mean, it is playing with such fire. We have so few bonds that hold us together across our partisan divide these days. And if now we question the very integrity of our elections on the scale we're questioning them now, you wonder what bonds really remain. Time to see something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. Meow Wolf opens today. It is amazing. But since it sold out this weekend, go to some of the other amazing arts institutions and groups in this town. David. Although the Regis University school newspaper let itself be bullied by the communist Chinese into deleting content that said Taiwan is a nation, Taiwan is in fact a nation, has been independent of China uh, for all but four of the last 125 years, and unlike China, has a legitimate democratic elected government, unlike the criminal bandits uh, who don't have elections in China and uh, commit crimes against humanity by spreading biological warfare globally. Eric. Congrats to Governor Polis and to uh, Marlon Reese uh, on their marriage a few days ago. Uh, historically significant, the first uh, same-sex couple to be married while one of them was governor of a state. But many, many good wishes to them. Here, here. Uh, that is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out this week. For everybody here at PBS 12 and uh, Colorado Inside Out, thank you so much for watching.
Good night. Thank you.